Hello and welcome to the inaugural X Cynic Pod. I'm your co-host. Don't don't say that often. I'm really just the producer, am I? Yes, you more behind the scenes. I'm more. Yeah, he's not. He, he, Christian looks like you know set everything up for me, and then if you just keep your mouth shut, uh, I'm Chris Gallagher. Um, uh, you may know me from other pods as the Ninety Minute Cynic Pod. Um, Christian Wolf. I'm joined by by Christian. I think you should refer to me as the talent on this uh, pod. Well, you're you? you're half of the hang, half of the hosting. Half of the hosting. You're you're half a I'll host. I'll take that. Why don't you introduce our guest? We've got two illustrious guests, um, and I'll we do, gal. And as you said, it's the first ex-cynic podcast, um, the tactical and stats wing, as we're calling it, of the ninety minute cynics. And that's a thousand iPods clicking off. Just, I'm only joking. No, like we're going to push. We'll this. play some good music. We'll, we'll, we'll get some pavement involved, some minor threat. Anyway, sorry, uh, uh, Christian. That's okay. So what we're trying to do is maybe take a slightly more in-depth view than what we do on the normal pod, ninety minute cynic pods. Just a bit around both the tactical sides, a bit more on the theory uh, analysis of the tactical side, but also then the numbers. Um, so we brought into eminent experts. Well, we'll see. Um, we have one in the studio, which is um, um, <laughs> I forgot your last name, Alex. <laughs> Alex Lawrence. Oh. How are you? So, so um, it's the first time we meet you, Alex. So you seem normal, which is good because you sit in Gal's living room. Um, yes, yeah. that's a very on, good point. On, uh, on a chair, on uh, a chair, no less. And yeah. So, in terms of, um, I'll let you introduce yourself, Alex. In terms of your your background and your expertise in in, in the world of tactical analysis, I would use that word quite loosely. Uh, so, yeah. First of all, thanks for thanks for having me on. Um, so, yeah, my my background really, uh, I've always been interested in in, uh, in the tactical side of the game. Um, I started out reading a lot of uh, the zonal marking blog by Michael Cox. Um, I said we all. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. so it was, that was a real sort of eye opener for me, and through that, basically, I just kind of fell into the into the tactical community, as it were. And as the years went by, and as I felt I could start giving something uh, of my own, of my own to that community, I fell even deeper. And you're now working for maybe the hipster's choice, probably in terms of tactical analysis sites. I'll let you pronounce the name. If if there is such thing as a hipster's choice in the in the niche field already of tactical analysis, uh, I do write for for Spielverlagerung dot uh, com, the the English enclave of the of the popular German uh, tactical website. Um, so I've been writing there since uh, April last year, not as frequently as I'd like, but recently I've been I've been a bit more active there. And you also written a couple of pieces on on, on Celtic that we're going to come come back to as well. Indeed, yeah. Um, and also, you, you know, you're not just a theory man. You, you're a you're a coach with uh, I won't name them, but a, a Scottish league club as well. Yeah. Uh, so that's something that I kind of uh, just that I just fell into as well. Um, I didn't think I'd enjoy it at, at the start, but ever since I started, I've I've absolutely loved it. Applying uh, your theory. Yeah. Uh-huh, practice. Uh-huh, uh-huh. We'll try and do anyway. There yeah. you go. Um, that's something that the man down the line um, probably never get to do, Matt. Maybe, maybe one day. But down the line, from the the US away, the the um, I don't know what we're going to call that state, the, the great state of Ohio, the state, the, the average state of Ohio. Uh, Matt, we're in Europe. Ryan, how, how are you doing? Good. How about you guys? 
Not too bad. Yeah, I think Christian's lost the ability to talk <laughs> as he was uh, stumbling. Ohio has, has the tendency to, to leave people without words a lot of times, so uh, I don't blame Christian at all. It's just Gal taking my breath away. Hey, listen, I love the United States. Uh, United, the presence of the United States. Does that get me? Does that get me anything? Uh, the band or the the guy who's who, the orange guy who's currently in office. What, what do you think? Hopefully, the band. Yeah, the band. But they're from they're from Ohio, right? Uh, I think they're from, yeah, they're from they're from Cincinnati, Cle- I think. And they're not from Cleveland? I don't think so. Oh, well, that'll be... They might be. I might be wrong. I might be not not know the history of my own town, but... You, you probably are. Anyway, back to Christian. No, that's that, absolutely fine. Matt is here to do the numbers. Um, Alex is here to do the, the tactical side, so we're going to try and uh, cover both of them and, and get a little bit of a conversation going. I think me and Gal is here as the... More of the average football fan asking, yeah, asking the silly questions. I'm here as a right good football man uh, to talk about football and pies and Bovril and sit good. in the stand. Keeping us real. Uh, in all seriousness, Christian, how often are we doing this podcast? Because the 90 Minute Cynic podcast, podcast, which you can get on 90minutecynic.com, as well as the supplement, which comes out on 90minutecynic.com, how often are we going to do it, be doing the ex Cynic uh, podcast? I think hopefully uh, once a month at least. Um, a little bit of a more of a deep dive, as you say. I think we want to pitch it, um, not too nerdy, not too geekiness, but you know. Well, you're off to a terrific I know start, exactly. Can I say that? Jesus. Um, but <laughs> oh my God, I think it's it's basically for for people out there who would like to know a little bit more about the taxes, a little bit more about the numbers. But you know, for both of us, it's probably good that we go a bit slow as well in terms of some of the on the concepts and and the theory. But by the end of the season. I expect us to be uh, writing for that site I can't pronounce. Um, chicken flattles something. Um, Kinderkuchen. Yeah. Um, but in all seriousness, uh, what is the... Because we, we've not really uh, promoted the Twitter as much and we need to promote the Twitter more. We will. Uh, the Twitter is x90cynic. X90. So, we'll do it again at the end, but just absolutely. if you're listening to this halfway through and you want to see some of the insight that Christian's been doing and, and obviously Matt as well... Um, yeah. And, check out and at um, the end of the part we'll, we'll go through what we're going to do in terms of numbers uh, and, and stats are from, from Exynic as well um, a lot of things happening with advanced stats in, in Scottish football at the moment over the last week actually so uh, we're all set for the season Yeah. but I think we're going to turn to first part is really um, Celtic who obviously eventually got through the playoff round uh, of the Champions League qualifiers yesterday against Rosenborg. It wasn't um, the playoff round, but we ended up... They got the through to the playoff Okay. Round. That's okay. Um, and we brought Alex on because Alex has been writing a couple of pieces for SV, uh, let's call it SV, in terms of Celtic's attacking approach. Um, so, so we wanted to talk about that because I think, in general... Um, Celtic were always likely to face quite a compact defense, often quite a deep line defense. Um, you know, especially in domestic football, and also against so against teams against Linfield and also Rosenborg. And I think Alex has been been writing a little bit about how what's the best way of breaking down those kind of defenses. What do you know the players on the field need to do? And what's the theory behind what they need to break down those defences and some of the positives and negatives around it. So, I don't know, Alice, I think you saw the game yesterday as well, but in terms of yep. the first couple of games against Linfield, against Rosenberg, in general, how, how would you describe Celtic's attacking play and how successful or not has it been and what's been the main issues with their attacking style the last few games? So, I think I would... I think I would um 
I think I'd approach the approach the question first with maybe with the caveat that in Scotland, especially especially domestically in Scotland, um, the type of defences which teams usually put up don't tend to be particularly compact for a couple of reasons. Mainly because in Scotland there seems to be a a prevailing idea that defending is only really done by by man marking, um, and man marking. I think I mentioned it. A couple, uh, I go through it in in my analysis of the of the cup final against Aberdeen. Mm-hmm. It's not particularly good for for keeping a compact shape because you can easily just draw yeah. players out essentially. Uh-huh. Uh, and Celtic you have, to have Celtic, a lot of Celtic, discipline Celtic, to do man marking. Yeah, Celtic do this really well. Um, they've kind of got this last season. They by the end of last season, they kind of had it down, as it were, especially on the left side where you have uh, Sinclair, who's best player in the league hands down um, and then you have the likes of Armstrong who managed for periods of last season to to complement Sinclair really well so they would do a lot of rotations so Stuart Armstrong would start he'd start in the centre and then he would make movements up um, towards the forward line and then out towards the wing and Sinclair would do the reverse or Sinclair would come inside and then try to run through a little bit more and this is what you would maybe call the half space yeah, so, uh-huh. so quickly tell, tell us about, about the half space. So the half space is, is it's a term which has caused quite a bit of a um, a bit of controversy in the especially in, in the real feedback man. Yeah, yeah from uh, exactly like Gal here. Yeah, Gal's but furious. It's, uh, it, <laughs> I'm raging right now because <laughs> I don't understand it. It's um, it's quite an arbitrary. It's an arbitrary term. Um, just used to describe. A specific area in the pitch, yeah. so you can divide the pitch already, and everyone does into the center of the pitch and the wings. And the half space is just taking that one step further and putting naming a space in between the two. Um, so it's essentially the space if you divide the the pitch um, vertically, yep, uh, into five spaces. You have yep. the middle, obviously. You have the two wings. The, yep. the wings is pretty much defined as. Um, the line, you know, yeah, everything outside the everything outside the width of the penalty area. Is yes, generally, it's, it's again, it's, it's arbitrary. Yeah. So that there's no set but definition. The, the for half it. space is more about the the space between the eighteen yard line and the six yard box. Yeah, and that, that's if yeah. I were drawing it, that's how I would draw it. Yeah. Um, so it's quite arbitrary, but it does have some some practical uh, some practical usage. Um, and, and I think from your analysis, you're saying that Sinclair is. Obviously, has a starting position as a as a winger or, uh-huh. or a wide forward, but he very often drifts into that area, not quite in the middle, yep. but he leaves space on the wing enough for Tierney to come and push up. Yeah. What uh-huh. does that do to the Celtics' attacking system? It really allows them to be quite flexible in an important area of the pitch, um, which is the. Funnily enough, with my Twitter handle, I I call it the ten space. It's yeah. the space where the number ten or the attacking midfielder tends to tends to operate. That space in between the op- opponent's defence and midfield, um, which is a really important space, especially in the centre, because obviously in the centre you have the choice of going in every direction, yeah. um, and also if you're doing it between the lines, then you're going straight on to the opponent's defensive line. So then you can start to look for runners running in behind, and Celtic tend to do this really, really well, with the exception maybe of uh, the first leg against Rosenborg, but I suppose we'll get to that. Um, so yeah, when Sinclair comes into the central area, he can be really influential. He can combine with a lot of players who are close by him, and he can use those, you see him do the, the wee one-twos with 
uh, with Dembele or Rogic or Armstrong, whoever it may be in that in yeah. the area around him. Um, so as Sinclair moves into this space, um, and he only really kind of stays in it for a brief period of time, it's really difficult for teams to pick him up, especially teams who who defends only. So teams who man mark, obviously they don't have this problem because they just have the fullback who follows yeah. Sinclair in. But then the great example of this was against Inverness away um, towards the end of the season. Um, and it was Sinclair would do this and the Inverness right back would just man mark him all the way into the centre. Yeah. Um, Aberdeen did it with Shea Logan as well to quite hilarious effect. But Stuart Armstrong is in. As soon as this fullback comes out of his space, Stuart Armstrong just goes and runs straight through this huge open gap in the so, so you very much saw that that interplay as you say you know Armstrong is maybe the more left of the of the midfield tree uh-huh. and Sinclair coming in from the left and, and Tierney and Tierney as well going down yeah, the left Tierney as well uh-huh. Uh-huh. If, so but if, if you move that over to, to the right side obviously you have Mikko Lustig who's quite a different kind of yeah. not uh-huh. as attacking as Tierney you probably have usually either Forrest or um, Robert yeah. on that side mm-hmm. And then obviously you would have maybe one, maybe actually Scott Brown and Tom Roger coming out to the yep. right. So 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 how did Celtic really just attack in a different way down the right, or just based on the players they have, or did they try to replicate that? I think I think it's a. Uh, I think what Brendan Rodgers has done is he's looked at the players that he has available to him, and he mm-hmm. sees that Kieran Tierney is a great asset in advanced areas of the pitch on the ball his selection in terms of passing and crossing is really good you saw it last night against Rosenborg some crosses he put in were fantastic really difficult balls to defend whereas Lustig probably could do that but I think also what Rodgers has done is he's looked back to um, he's looked back to systems he's played in the past so at Liverpool there was a stage there was a stage at Liverpool where his Liverpool team would set up quite similarly to Celtic. So they'd set mm-hmm. up maybe in a 4-3-3. Or, but then they would sort of switch round to what's almost a 3-2-4-1. And there was times as well when they just flat out started with it. I can remember games against Chelsea where Liverpool had played 3-2-4-1 just from the, from the outset. Because cause, um, that's interesting because a, a common friend of us um, explained to me once that a lot of the... Um, you know the the aim of modern attacking football, and especially people like Guardiola and, and Rodgers, is to have a situation where you maybe have, as you say, there a, a three-two-four-one when you attack. So yep. you basically have four players behind the striker, um, and two essentially two number tens, or you're yep. at least in that ten space. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And you can kind of see, I guess, City is, is trying to do similar things with De Bruyne and Silva, yep. operating uh-huh. that space yep. with the fullbacks coming yep. up. Yeah, uh-huh. indeed. Is I mean. It doesn't really matter what the what the formation is to begin with, but the idea is always the same. The idea is always to get the ball in, in advanced positions and to have options running into depth and to have as, basically have as many options as possible to, to go forward and to attack. And that's another thing, taking it back to, to Celtic, away from this tangent that we've gone down, mm-hmm. uh, taking it back to Celtic. It's another thing that they've done really well is they have these different options. Um, they have these different options to attack, so... Last season, of course, they had you have Patrick Roberts on the on the wing, and it's really really straightforward to manage to get him one v one against the fullback. Yep. You um, you just start, you start your build up on the left side, and Celtic do this. I saw them do it really well in pre season for one of the games, 
um, they start to build up on one side and most of the players would start to congregate on that left side yeah. and all of a sudden there's a lot of space then for the right winger to then just go and do his thing and, and I think this is something you picked up in analysis of, of the first Linfield game because as you say in that game um, as you say part of Celtic's tactic is to, to try and get one we won situations yep. uh, on the wing but Linfield was very deep and yep. it, as you say, it's probably almost a 6-3-1 formation where At the times, wingers yeah. went down as almost a second fullback so against Linfield it seemed like the winger was always pressing uh, Celtic fullback of the winger and you always had a spare uh, fullback yeah. behind them uh-huh. so, so in those kind of cases and, and this happened quite a bit on the on the run of dialogue as well but where they weren't able to actually break down the defence when they were so deep mm-hmm. but the Celtic and the Celtic will face this a lot of times um, uh, domestically how does Celtic break that down in terms of when people are so deep they double up on the wing so Tierney or, or Lustig and Forrest and Sinclair might have issues what does Celtic need to do to break them down it's a it's a really difficult problem um, because if you just think about it in terms of in terms of numbers, if there are if there are, if the opposition do do what Linfield did and they double up with the with the winger sometimes dropping back into the defence, you you then as you said you end up sometimes with like a back six almost. Yeah. And if with a back six, the different the distances between players horizontally, the dif- the distance between the fullback and the centre half, and so on and so on are really quite tight so it can be very difficult just to just to break through as it were and just to break through um, with combinations or with dribbles or whatever it's really difficult to break through one thing I thought that Celtic did I don't think I actually mentioned it in analysis I think sometimes Celtic pushed too high up so you saw there was such little space between between players of Linfield between the lines at Linfield um but Celtic would just keep trying to squeeze through, so you'd have the two centre halves were almost thirty-five, forty yards, almost away from the Linfield goal. Whereas if you take a step back and then let them come back out, then it's like almost it's almost like unfolding an accordion. The spaces become much bigger, and then you can go through it again, or um, or indeed you can do like what we mentioned earlier, with starting the attack on one side and letting the opposition come over to one side. And then yeah. if you can race the ball to the other yeah, side no. before they can get across, you can get favourable situations on that side. So I think in, in future pods, we're going to get the, the the term unfolding the accordion in <laughs> uh, to all of them. In, in terms of Gal, in terms of Linfield and Rosenberg, you know, you're watching the games. What was your view of them in terms of Celtics tactics? Because, you know... There was issues in both legs, especially against Rosenberg. What do you think? I I just, um, you know, you you talk about, you know, like almost like, you know, build up on one side and then like a quick switch to get. They did that like three or four times yesterday with Tierney. Um, Uh Let me ask you this. um, What did you think of Sinclair's performance yesterday? And I, at times, couldn't figure out really where he was playing because he was dropping so deep at times and then didn't help that his touch was was, was really bad. But um, in the first half, you know, Rogers made the comment that um, you wouldn't know that we weren't playing without a striker yesterday. Mm. You would, but yeah, <laughs> I, I, I think that was maybe maybe stretching it a little bit. Um, with Sinclair, he's he can be quite a quite a frustrating figure sometimes. Yeah, because he is so precariously talented. He's just a superb footballer, um, and sometimes. The decisions that he makes and the types of movements that he makes don't seem to quite fit the situation. So, like you said, sometimes when he's dropping in and he's not really helping, um, there's sometimes when he's 
actually moving. Again, I made a comment in the Linfield piece. I didn't think he was moving into that 10 space enough. I thought he was staying outside of it a lot more. Um, but there's moments when he's moving into that 10 space uh, and he's looking to receive a pass from Brown or from Armstrong, much like the one which eventually ended up in the goal when he received a pass from Armstrong and turned. But there was times when he's receiving the pass from Armstrong there and his body position is so closed in terms of he can't see anything up the pitch he's completely facing his own goal and it's really difficult to turn if you don't know what's behind you, what's behind you. or yeah. it's not difficult to turn but you can turn and there's going to be you uh, get hit. a big Danish guy behind you just yeah. see the um, see the whole <clears throat> idea of um, you know um, Armstrong or, or kind of a winger being uh, on, on the wing on the kind of left hand side and him a lot of the time he'll cut inside which mm-hmm. gives Tierney the opposition, opportunity yep. to kind of come round gives him space and you know Sinclair will either take a shot or it'll break down and then you know Tierney's in a much forward position see the fact that Lustig doesn't do that as much do you think that's maybe why James Forrest isn't hitting playing as, as good as good as he has been in the past because Ultimately, Forrest will get to a position, which I've noticed anyway, he'll get to a situation out wide and he'll always pass back mm. because he he never tries to take anyone on because I, I don't know why he's got no confidence in his own ability, mm-hmm. I guess. Whereas Johnny Hayes yesterday didn't actually have to get to the byline, he can cross in yeah. from, from further <coughs> out. Do you yeah. think, like, I mean, what do you think of Forrest overall, his performances? Because I, from a winger's point of view, he's not really doing it. As in terms of and I noticed this in, I couldn't tell you exactly which game it was, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was in all of the in all of the qualifiers so far. Um, when you think of James Forrest, you think of beat the man, byline, cross, um, or beat the, byline, beat the man, maybe come inside and have a shot or whatever. But it's usually, it's usually right foot, byline, deliver. Um, it's delivery in the last couple of games has just been really really I don't want to say the word poor because it's a bit what does that mean but he's, he's, I don't even think he's been crossing yeah I mean I think his <coughs> actual the amount of balls he's been putting into the box I think Tierney's been crossing more and he's yeah, a fullback uh-huh, uh-huh, so uh-huh. I mean that clearly something's not right there yeah do you think Celtic with that because you're talking about obviously that again come back to that kind of quick switch situation uh, the way I always see it is um, Lustig's always going to be the one that comes out on the right hand side mm. and then he's been hitting sort of kind of cross field passes again he done it about four or five yep. times yesterday uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, do you think that's the way they'll, they'll move going, like, going forward or do you think they'll actually try and get a ball playing centre half to actually come out with it I think that's a dream well, for me anyway as a as a tactics nerd a ball playing centre half is the is the dream um, Simunovic seems to do okay in this sense I think there's a lot of room for improvement for him um, the encouraging point was uh, Christoph they're going to help me with the pronunciation here Christoph for the Ayer Ayer or Norwegian God Nor- Norwegian God right okay so him anyway <laughs> uh, that, guy. <laughs> that, that guy um he looks obviously he seemed uh, he didn't do anything remarkably flashy in in the first leg which is I suppose understandable playing his first Champions League oh, first start here yeah first start um, but he seems to have a lot in his a lot in his locker yeah. and I think that that could be really exciting to see how how Celtic revolve around uh, how they adapt yeah. to his and, to his game I mean and that's and I've spoken a little bit to, to Christopher before and, and he's he's quite. Almost opened that. That was his his plan. He wanted to because it's been a 
midfielder, a mm-hmm. attacking midfielder, even a striker yep. so far. And he's quite clear and that that's almost part of his long-term plan was to play in those positions to actually, because actually more things happen, you're more on the ball, you get used to the ball more, yep. to build up that side of his play and eventually take a step back and become a center half. Mm-hmm. Because you, you, uh, one of the things... Um, Can I jump in for just, go. just one go. second? Um, we had Perry Sykes, um, yep. N- Norwegian <coughs> football analyst on the other week and he was basically saying that um, when we were talking about Ayer and you know the the fact that he obviously started the first leg and there was potential that he would start the second leg he kind of laughed a little bit and said you know I never in any way pictured Ayer being a centre half yeah. uh-huh. um, because of his size and because n- not not because of his size his size helped him a lot in Norway and midfield because he was quite a lot bigger right. than a lot of the guys yep. but what he was saying is one of his major um, kind of plus points is the fact that he is such a good passer mm-hmm. and obviously if he is coming back at centre half yep. and he's a good passer of the ball he can clear from what I saw when he was at Kilmarnock the thing that impressed me most was his reading of the game Right. so centre half shouldn't be shouldn't be tackling anyway should they oh, yeah. so, uh, so uh, from uh, that point course. of view basically he's the new Franz Beckenbauer exactly. <laughs> so why, why are you holding the microphone no, like that no I'm holding the microphone because I see that Matt Rayner started tweeting because we, we kept him on hold for too long Matt. hi Matt in terms of uh, any any tactical questions from, from down the line from, from, from the States well it, it, it was interesting because I um, doing work with Kronball uh, Christian and I the, the Norwegian stats site we do uh, I had watched Rosenberg so I was maybe more familiar with how they usually play, but I kind of didn't know how they would play going with a tie just because in Norway, they don't kind of like Celtic. They don't really have to sit back. They don't really have to um, defend that much against most of the other teams in the league usually. Uh, but against Celtic, that's probably what they would have to do. And um, would they be able to do it successfully? And after the first leg, they, they certainly seem to do it. And I figured they'd do the same thing the second leg. But it was interesting, um, start of the second half to me, when they started to press Celtic, when they started to come out more, um, that they started to cause Celtic a little more problems. Brown started to turn the ball over a little bit, and they got a couple of their best chances in the second leg after that. And it just kind of made me think about um, when, I think it was Kamarnock who played Celtic kind of in a, a midweek game. They, they pressed him very well, and they caused Celtic problems. Celtic, Celtic obviously still won, but probably was one of the, the more trouble games that Celtic had last season, and I remember actually St. Moran doing the same thing in the Cup uh, at home when at Celtic Park, and they've caused Celtic problems. Celtic, I believe, only won one up. and I just kind of wanted to know, uh, ask Alex why he thinks more teams don't do that, because it certainly seems that uh, Celtic has problems when teams start to get in their face, when start to close down on them, and if more teams do start to do that, what Celtic could do to kind of counteract that. So I reckon um, I think there's there's a couple of reasons why I don't think more teams do that. Firstly, because the way that Celtic play in possession is they're, and this is no surprise, they're actually quite good in possession <laughs> uh, in terms of in terms of um, how they can move the ball from one side of the pitch to the other, how they can progress the ball up the pitch, and how they can protect the ball if they if they do lose it. So if you are going to press a team like Celtic really high up the pitch, then obviously as you push higher up, you leave more space behind. Now if you press in an uncoordinated manner, so if you press with maybe your forwards going up, um, but your midfielders maybe don't go up at the same time, you leave a huge gap in between. And that's the type of gap where Scott Brown 
um, where Scott Brown just lived almost at times last season. Uh, and we saw this quite a lot. We saw this quite a lot. Um, we saw this in the Scottish Cup final as well. Aberdeen at times, they would press the centre-backs really, really high. But then because they were man-marking in midfield and because they had um, because they had two in centre midfield and Celtic had three, Scott Brown would just be completely free, a huge gap in between the Aberdeen forward and midfield line. And he would just t- pick up the ball and that's it. The, the press is completely broken. Um, <clears throat> so... Even if you do manage to have a really coordinated press, um, even if you are compact, even when you're pressing, if you are managing to force Celtic into into areas where they maybe don't want to be, they then have the option to, to go more direct. And that's maybe the... So we talked about how Celtic go around teams. We talked about how Celtic can go through teams of Sinclair coming into the centre. But they can also just go straight over them, mm. especially when you play with a centre-forward like Griffiths, um, and especially when Sinclair does his, what seems to be a trademark run, where he starts on the on the left side and kind of curls round, curls round in between the full-back and centre-half and just yeah. guns it. Um, so I mean, guys like Sinclair and Griffiths are miles faster than most centre-halves in, in Scotland. So if you do try to push up and if you do manage to squeeze the whole team up and if you do manage to press Celtic into dangerous areas, they'll just go completely over it. And they have guys like Griffiths and Sinclair who can just absolutely destroy you um, and more direct. Yeah, I think also it kind of comes down to the fact that Celtic have better players. Also, simply, yeah. What I mean is, see if you had... Um, like Aberdeen pushed Celtic really close in the cup final and yeah. that's because their level of player is... A lot higher than Aberdeen um, than Kilmarnock's level of yeah. player. Do you think if, if if again the kind of level? Obviously, Aberdeen are the second best team in Scotland. Mm-hmm. How far away do you think they are from really challenging Celtic? Do you think it's uh, a, a personnel thing, or do you think McInnes, um isn't pragmatic or kind of has the nous to beat Rogers from a tactical point of view? I think it's a. I think it's a bit of both. I think that Celtic. Uh, Aberdeen of Aberdeen of last season were the best equipped to if anyone was going to really challenge um, Brendan Rodgers Celtic then that was a team that was going to do it um, but if you have if you have a good system if you have a good um, if you have a good tactical system if you have a good strategy for the game if you can approach the game in a in a well thought out manner then you can actually overachieve with respect to the level of your players. So we saw that when, uh, I think Matt mentioned it, when St Mirren, when St Mirren came to Celtic Park, when St Mirren were what, near the bottom of the championship. Mm-hmm. They were, they were 11 points clear at one point. Right, well. so I mean, there's no doubt that the level of player there isn't what the same as what Aberdeen's was. Yeah. And yet, for large parts of that game... Um, for large parts, I only watched maybe the first the first half and a bit. But for large parts of that game, St Mirren really did manage to deny Celtic a lot. They were really well organised and they didn't give Celtic much time at all in advanced areas of the pitch. Um, to jump in and say that Aloha did exactly the same. And it was no, no surprise that Jack Ross was... Yeah, Aloha, Aloha had common. two or three big chances in that yeah. game that we uh-huh. kind of and you know Craig Gordon possibly could have get sent off. So I, I kind of take your point on um, Jack Ross. If he had a higher caliber player, could maybe 
challenge Berlin McInnes? I'm. I know you're not saying yeah, that. That's what no, I mean. I'm. I'm just giving. I'm just giving that as an example. Um, but I do think that when when we saw the the Celtic Aberdeen games last season, I think Brendan Rodgers has Derek McInnes kind of sussed. He knows what Derek McInnes is going to do. It's quite dogmatic. Um, there aren't really many surprises. Um, he keeps choosing terrible strikers over Adam Rooney for whatever reason. <laughs> yes, I'm I'm as surprised as, as you. And, and I guess that's that's the point because, as you say, if if you come out and attack Celtic and press them high, mm-hmm. you might have a little bit of success. And I think you know, yesterday when mm-hmm. Rosberg put the pressure on Scott Brown, they did force quite a few yep. turnovers. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I guess that's you know, it's such a more risky approach. So you can go down like Linfield, and you can you can. You know, make sure you maybe don't give much space, and you, you maybe you keep it to a respectable two nil. Mm-hmm. But you're always limiting your chances um, to actually do something. I think essentially in Scotland the gap in, in quality is so big that teams might try to press them, but Celtic will be good enough just to get out of that. Yeah. Where like Rosenberg, <laughs> maybe specifically last year against Borussia Mönchengladbach at home. Celtic was just locked in. I think Mönchengladbach yeah. is such a good team; they know how to press and know how to yeah. do it. Celtic was just denied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you also kind of look at the kind of key players, though, a lot of them have came from the Scottish League. Yeah. So it is a case of are they being coached in a in a way that's going to you know in a way that they understand. I mean, mm-hmm. Brendan Rodgers has taken obviously Dyla didn't have much success with, with Armstrong, but that's you know played out of position and such. But when Armstrong was at Dundee United, you could see there was a raw talent there, and you could see that there was a guy who. Um, you know, they showed flashes of, of real ingenuity and you know impressive kind of um, stats and stuff. But it was never kind of all put together until kind of Roger see. It. I, I, I kind of wonder if there's not enough coaches out there that can actually see potential in players the way that you know, like Andrew Robertson getting let go because he was too small. <laughs> I mean, that still happens. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think in terms of Armstrong is an interesting one because... Do you want to hold the mic further away from your face? No, no, that's no, okay. Or um, how's this? I just throw it on the floor. Is, is this that better? That. Sorry. Okay, it's fine. I'll, I'll do my best. Um, Matt, he doesn't know how to use a microphone. It's just when I talk about Stuart Armstrong, as, as many old people, you get a little bit excited. Uh, but I think in terms of Armstrong, it's an interesting case. But as we talked about earlier, he's, he was very much um, an important part of that, especially on the left side of attack for Celtic this uh, last season um, and, and in terms of when he's best I guess especially domestically in trying to break down defence he almost moves up as another number 10 beside Rogic. Yep. Um but whereas yesterday it seemed like maybe both Armstrong and McGregor was oh, too high and leaving Brown in a lot of trouble so, so how do you and I think that's basically a way of circling back to, to Callum McGregor in terms of the job because he's is a is a player here on, on, on the singing spot, cynic spot, where there's a lot of mixed feelings about him. There's I know there's a lot of people in the tactical community that, that loves Callum McGregor. So so in terms one. of so we brought you here as, as as a key defender of of Callum McGregor. What does what does Callum McGregor do that maybe not? Does it do some of the hidden stuff that isn't as flashy uh, and isn't as obvious? And how? But what are those things that it makes him such uh, a favourite, if you want, and maybe more in, in guys who looks more at the tactical theory side of things? With uh, with Callum McGregor, especially last night, especially the the second leg, for me that was 
that was a kind of a turning point in my not a turning point because I would suggest that I had a poor a poor opinion of him before, but I was kind of neutral towards Callum McGregor before. Um, but last night when I was when I was watching Celtic and I watched how important he was. Um, again, when we were talking about the moment in the second half, when the second half starts and Rosenberg just come out yeah. and they're so they're they're defending in a a four one four one let's say. Um, so the the two centre midfielders, the two more advanced midfielders, they. Every time Brown gets the ball, they're making a beeline for him. They're going straight for Brown. They're trying to win the ball up in that area, uh, the sixth space, or around about the number six, um, just in front of the defence. Where yep. if, if you win the ball there, you're straight on the yep, defence. Exactly. Uh-huh. And they had a couple of dangerous moments. Now, whether or not they managed to capitalise or realise those moments was was neither here or there. The Probably because they're not that good. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps. Okay, but the the where Cal McGregor comes in is. He's able to. I feel like I'm selling him now. Yeah, on uh, you go. He's he's sell, able sell him to me. <laughs> okay, well, Cal McGregor, he's able to to prevent a lot of these problems um, before they even happen. So when we look, I actually I put together a a couple of clips. Um, I posted on my on Alice on, Twitter today on yeah. my Twitter page today. The ten at the ten space <clears throat> at the ten space indeed. That's all letters. No, yeah, that's the one. No spaces. Um, so yeah, I put together a, a couple of clips from the from the second leg. There, um, the first was a clip of uh, Scott Brown when Scott when uh, Short Armstrong was playing next to him, or when he was kind of playing on on his own yep. as a as a defensive midfielder, as, yeah. <clears throat> as a deepest one. And it's again as soon as he gets the ball, he's under pressure. He's not able to turn out to the other side, and he's that's him. He, he's lost the ball, and that's it. They're straight onto the defense. Whereas as soon as Celtic score, uh, Rogers takes off Armstrong, brings on Rogic, and Callum McGregor goes next to Brown. So already there, what, what, was he rotating the pivot? Is is that right? I, I would I would I would say I would say it Good. seemed that way anyway. It seemed that way anyway. Um, so essentially, you you would whereas Brown and then two midfielders ahead of him, yeah. maybe not as attacking. This is the six eight eights, maybe yeah, one uh, six and two eights. You basically put Callum McGregor down as another number six. So you had two deeper ones, and then yeah. Rodrigo as more as a as a ten. Yeah, they again they acted that way anyway. So whereas in the first instance, Callum McGregor is maybe. He's quite far away from Brown in the first situation when Brown is the deepest one. Uh, so when Brown then gets the ball, or even before when Brown's looking for a passing option before he even gets the ball, maybe Callum McGregor is already too far away just because of the formation they're playing, just because of the way that they're spaced out. Um, but once you drag Callum McGregor back, then all of a sudden McGregor's always there. Yeah. McGregor's always there for, for Brown. It also poses the Rosenborg midfield another problem in the sense that now the two midfielders aren't just pressing one guy yep. they now have to deal with two so it's not quite as simple as saying the pressure is halved but I mean you get you get the sentiment the sentiment's the same that uh, now the Celtic centre halves have two guys they can pass to yeah. in the centre instead of just Brown so it's one of maybe that was a bit counterintuitive uh, issues whereas you know you're not able to create things you're not really attacking a lot of people say, well, throw another attacker on, throw another attacking midfielder. But instead, you, you drop a guy into defensive midfield to actually start creating something, a bit more possession, you to win the ball back and, and actually play it forward. Um, just got uh, Matt, do you want to bring in? You've got some uh, some interesting stats about Cal McGregor. Well, yeah. So uh, just to 
continue to sell the virtues of Callum McGregor. Uh, I know, I know, I know Stuart Armstrong was a popular person on this podcast, maybe since his refusal to sign a contract, he, he's become less popular, but I was just looking while you guys were talking. Um, they both have uh, the same expected assists per 90 and um, McGregor's actually played about 400 minutes more. So you're not losing much with Callum McGregor um, in terms of creating, in terms of stat wise. And they have pretty much a similar uh, expected secondary assists uh, as each other uh, at 0 0.08. So they're pretty similar players in terms of stat wise. Um, Armstrong's a little better uh, creating his own shot. I think the stats say uh, he has a little higher expected goals per 90. But I think, you know, I've, I've been a pretty big Cal McGregor fan, too, since last year, since he started getting solid playing time. And I think the stats have shown that he he can do pretty much, you know, a wide variety of jobs. He can be that attacking midfielder. He can sit back next to Brown. So, you know, count me in in the uh, camp that is a Cal McGregor fan. So, so, Gal, I mean, the evidence here is mounting up. What's the case against Cal McGregor? Um, listen, here's the thing, and I've, I've said it before and I'll say it again. I don't have anything against Callum McGregor. I just don't think he is as good a footballer as Stuart Armstrong. I think that's fair, Alex? I think that, I think that Callum McGregor is better at putting himself in situations where he doesn't look out of place. But that's not the same, is it, really? I'm put, putting yourself in a situation where you don't look out of place isn't the same. If you had to have Stuart Armstrong or Callum McGregor as playing central midfield for Scotland against... Against and a key qualifier, who would you choose? You got to hit me with it. I mean, you can you can talk talk about it. you like both, and the, the you know one's very handsome, one looks like he's from Pollock, which he is from Pollock. <laughs> um, but no, no. Listen, I, I think Cal McGregor's a, a terrific player. But if, in that situation, Scotland game, um, one possession's up for grabs. The number eight position are just a midfield position, central midfield. Who you choose, McGregor or Armstrong? One answer. The it's 500 words on it the tactical community is is notorious for taking these hypothetical questions and just answering every single one with it depends um i, I would i would say, You'd say it, sure. it depends it's what I'll answer <laughs> no i i and one other kind of point i'll make is uh Callum mcgregor has de there's absolutely no question that Callum mcgregor has developed under under brendan rogers um and I, I'm happy with him being part of the squad. I, I, I honestly just I, I, if we want to go up a level, which is what we what Celtic want to do, then it's probably not Armstrong or McGregor. We probably have to go up a level above that. Um, and that that but that's that's kind of the the, the idea. If we've got aspirations to go a level higher, Armstrong or um, McGregor on the bench, terrific. Do I want him starting in the Champions League? Not really. I don't want him starting in the Champions League group stages. I'm not saying that if he started it would be a disaster or we would automatically lose. I just don't think he's good enough to hold down a starting position at Celtic every single week. And if he's got aspirations to play every single week, he's going to have to leave because he's not going to play every week. We'll see. To be continued. Not really. No, he, doesn't well, start. Well, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't. He didn't even start the Rosenberg game at home. Well, we'll see. Well, but I think if, if Armstrong does go, that would be the chance of him. Listen, the, the, the football arsehole community, what we do <laughs> is we just shout at you until you shut up. Sorry. Well, you go. I think, I think if, if nothing else, it's it's nice to use, for lack of a better word, it's nice that 
I, for one, can be so be so enthused by a by a young Scottish player, by a young Scottish player who makes guys who makes the players around him better, and who seems to actually he seems to make amazing, fantastic, rational, um, strategically driven decisions and execute them on the pitch. One um, one thing I'll say is his technique is excellent. See for a young Scottish player, his technique's terrific. Good. Christian, you're bursting go on. I I'm bursting I'm I'm gonna go over to the numbers very soon, but before we, we, we kick it over to, to, to Matt, just one last point quickly, Alex. In terms yep. of Griffiths versus Dembele, um both obviously uh, I think personally Griffiths link up play has is maybe a little bit underrated. But in terms of, I think you you kind of mentioned in your Linfield article, is Dembele a step above that? What does Dembele give Celtic that maybe Griffith can't, especially in Europe? I think um, I think what you mentioned there about Griffith's link-up play is absolutely correct. Um, there's a, in the two or three games, um, most recent two or three games that I've seen of Griffiths, I've been actually quite surprised at how good he is at holding the ball up and I'm not talking about um, taking a high ball and yeah. controlling it and muscling off defenders I'm talking about the type of goal kicks that Craig Gordon puts out and this is quite niche but the type of goal kicks that Craig Gordon puts out especially towards Griffiths are quite flat in their okay. trajectory and they usually come at him round about chest height maybe chest to belly height now maybe there's something to be said for Lee Griffiths belly but <laughs> the, he controls it and he protects the ball super and brilliantly well and there's a lot of times I think even in the Aberdeen game and Ash Taylor's right up against him Ash Taylor's a big boy he's not a footballer he's a rugby player he's also uh, not a footballer uh, but well, that's another yeah so I mean Ash Taylor's trying to trying to take this ball of Lee Griffiths and Lee Griffiths is able just to stand there and just take it and just to control it and bring other folk in but having said that Moussa Dembele is streets ahead in this sense not just in terms of is he capable of doing the same thing? Is he capable of playing with his back to goal? But in terms of actually how he does it, and I think that's something that he's improved in a lot uh, since the start of last season. In the sorry, in the in the League Cup, in the League Cup final against Aberdeen, uh, Celtic did really well to open the open the spaces in the centre of the Aberdeen midfield. Um, but a lot of the time when Dembele was coming in, when Dembele was coming in to receive the first pass. The he would come in far too deep, and all of a sudden there's no one to lay it off to. Yeah. Whereas now his link-up play is far better in that sense, and he can also do the things that Griffiths does. Maybe not to the same extent or extremity of what Griffiths does, which just goes in behind as much as he can. But he's equally as capable of doing that, and his movement around the box, his finishing around the box, is just brilliant as well. So, um, a couple of points. Firstly, I, I, I mean, his performance against England, Griffiths, I yeah. thought was. Sensational! Mm-hmm. Um, I thought he did just intelli- not just running for the sake of running, intelligent running. Mm. Um, but is there an argument to be made? Um, I'm a dumb old stupid football guy who, you know, loves teletext and all that. Uh, is there an argument that potentially Griffiths and Dembele could play as a partnership, two up front? Because there was a couple of times yesterday specifically where um, if. Dembele, if Griffiths was in, if, I just think Griffiths running off Dembele um, after Dembele kind of, you know, as you say about like taking the kind of mm. the ball and holding things up. I'm just asking. I mean, from a tactical point of view, do you think there could be a time maybe in the Champions League when, when we're chasing a game or something that 
he would go to up front. I know it's not the fashionable thing to do. I think but that there's my hair, and I still have glasses. <laughs> so, I think that just from a just from a logical point of view, it does make sense that they should be able to do it, and I think they would complement each other quite well. Um, I think they're perfect. From I think they would be a perfect partnership. I really do. I'm not saying I, I would personally I, play it, but I think how, how would you set up? Not to go too much into, but how would you set up the team behind them if you had them two? I mean, obviously, you're going to have to make sacrifices in terms of personnel, um, but at the same time, you could. Would you play him instead of Rodrick, for example? Or? Um, you could. Where's McGregor going? Yeah. In the, in the well, band. I think we know. <laughs> get rid of him first. Um, listen, well, I want to bring in. I'll come, we'll come back to that at some point. Um, Matt, you've got some uh, stats with a Z. <laughs> well, first calling the Z is a mistake. But uh, so looking at Griffiths and Dembele, comparing their numbers, um, you were talking about their link-up play. So looking at their expected assists, um, Griffiths actually has the highest expected assists per 90 at Celtic in the league last year uh, at 0.55. So that's higher than, you know, Sinclair. That's higher than Armstrong. Um, So I think that kind of shows what you guys are talking about, where he's really good at link-up play. But then looking at Dembele's expected goals, he's just a monster. Um, He he had the highest expected goals in the league in total last year, uh, and he missed, what, the last month? He didn't play any league games. He still quite comfortably had the highest expected goals in the league last year. He had the highest expected goals in the league and at Celtic per 90, so per 90 minutes at 0.69. And every shot he took averaged um, a 0.18 expected goals, which just means that he's using his strength, he's using his speed, and he can just basically get any shot he wants at will. He can get high-scoring shots, you know, high percentage of going in. So, um, I mean, I think I've said it before that Celtic is really lucky to have both of them right now because um, Dembele has kind of had some injury problems since he's been at Celtic. Nothing major, but he's missed, you know, months at a time. And as long as Lee Griffiths isn't getting suspended for tying scars onto uh, goalposts, he... He's an amazing backup to have. I mean, I mean, he would he would start for. I think he'd start for half of the EPL teams if, if Griffiths was there. So um, I think Celtic is really lucky that they have both these guys available, and the stats kind of agree with that. Uh, I don't know if he'd start for more most EPL teams, pal. Well, uh, you don't think the bottom half teams teams eleven through twenty would have Griffiths? He's making sport? a face, Matt. He's making a face. <laughs> no, no, I, 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 I don't know. I think. I mean, they're. they're they're spent. Uh, Griffiths is a very unfashionable type of footballer. The league he plays in, his age, um, how he plays, right, how injury he, prone he is. I, I don't think these things in the championship. He'd be he'd be sold for ten million. And and you know, I mean, I know the championship is definitely a better league than the SPFL. I disagree. Um, I disagree. I legitimately disagree. Well, who knows how your what type of stats your grand would have, but uh, um, but yeah, but either way, you know, if if he was putting these type of stats up in the championship. Uh, he he'd be a ten million pound player. So, but there's a lot of Scottish players who go down there and don't put those stats up. That's that's that is the issue. I think. Yeah. I think the Scottish. I think playing for Celtic is probably one of the most uh, stressful things you can do as a footballer, and the pressure that's on you is unmatched. And and probably, probably, Europe. Um, not Europe. In the UK. Um, especially just now, if Celtic lose a game, it's or draw a game, it's it's a disaster. But just. Back onto playing them as a partnership. Three five two. Rogic, Brown, McGregor. Eh? Where, where do you put Tierney and Sinclair? Put Tierney. Um, firstly, left fuck back. up right. We are <laughs> mentioning players that I totally forgot about. <laughs> you can play Tierney at centre half. Good. 
could. Left um, centre back like David Alba. Yeah, mm. um, you could play Sinclair. Um, obviously on the left, you could play, you know, at, or you could even play Tierney on the right. But that's thingy. Anyway, so you want to move on to stats? Well, yeah, I, I think um, coming in with a little bit of stats as well. But maybe Matt to to maybe provide a link here in terms of the stack community, if you want to call that, the, the tactical community, which is Alex is more of a, a representative of. You're the handsome community. I'm the Norwegian suave community. Well, uh, well I don't think uh, Norwegian suave is an oxymoron, but there you go. Fair enough. Uh, niche at the very least. <laughs> oh, wow! Oh. Burn from the new guy! We'll see about that. But, uh, I, I think it's, uh, it's maybe often two communities, if you want to call them that, that are, uh, you know, seen as one as a bit nerdy uh, but in terms of you know yourself and myself is obviously a bit more into our, our numbers rather than tactical but there must be a lot of things we could learn from the tactical community and, and vice versa yeah I think I think there definitely is um, obviously you know we talked a lot about style Celtics you know attacking style um, you can kind of link stats to those styles so with Celtic you will want to see you know, what their expected goals are. You want to see, you know, the ratio of expected goals in their matches. So what that means is if, you know, Celtic has uh, an expected goals of two and the other team has an expected goals of one in a match, you know, they and, and they average that over the season, um, Celtic's expected goal ratio is going to be 66%. So that's, you know, what you, but that's good. You know, 66% of the attack is coming from Celtic. So that's, you know, a stat you can use. And then on the other end, you can kind of look at if you're a team that likes to um, keep it packed in the back, you know, kind of keep it defensive. You can count how many shots you're allowing. You can count where those shots are coming from. And again, expected goals against, because that kind of tells you where, you know, if you're, when you're allowing shots, what type of shots are there? Are they shots that are, you know, good shots that are often going to be scored? Are they, you know, kind of speculative shots that won't be able to go in that often and that you're kind of comfortable allowing. Um, Christian and I actually work with uh, Stratagem, and in the data that they provide to us uh, that we have used, uh, they actually start to count how many players are in between uh, a player when he takes a shot. So you can kind of see if it's clear or not, if you can, um, if, if there's a lot of, if there's a lot of pressure on the shot, uh, using that data last year, I kind of looked at St. Johnston and saw because last year they had a negative expected goal, but obviously they were finished. They were up around the top six the whole season. They finished fourth, um, and usually that's not something that happens. But this is something St. Johnston's done year in and year out. You know, they've kind of had a negative expected goal differential under Tommy Wright, uh, and I found that while yes, they're allowing a lot of shots, they're usually shots from distance they're usually shots that have two or three people in between them Uh, i found actually that only celtic use average more uh, defenders in between the goal and shots than st johnson last season so you know these are kind of some things that you can some stats that can kind of go hand in hand with uh, tactical analysis and and just quickly on that a very quick question for alex and there was a celtic player who was and i did the stats on this who were the the player who had the most on average players between himself and the ball when he took a shot and I think we put a limit of at least 10 shots in the season there's a Celtic player who was basically second highest in the league in terms of how many players he had in front of him when he took a shot you want to have a guess who that was Stuart Armstrong no it wasn't somebody who likes to have a shot from a long range Rogic 
near Beton. Near Beton. Beton has something like over four players between himself oh dear. and the goal oh dear. Uh, on average when he took a shot. So, um, so Beton. It's, it's the near Beton klaxon when he takes off <laughs> the long shot. And, and I think um, Matt, and it, it, I, I always find this slightly funny in terms of the tactical and, and, and the stats communities where us and the stat community has often the biggest strawman argument uh, against ourselves is that, you know, we don't watch the games. You know, you, you need to use your eyes. Whereas the biggest strawman against Alex and the tactical community is probably like, oh, you're looking at it too much. You know, you, you're, too, you're overanalyzing it. It's too much theory. And in between, happy medium, we have Gal, who's back uh, just <laughs> from the toilet as well. And Gal. Yeah, totally to but, but moving on, Gal. And Gal, uh, Matt, in terms of obviously the, you know, starting the league season uh, on, on Saturday, as you said, we're working with, with Stratabet uh, in terms of their providing us the data, uh, which we should give them actually a, a huge credit for, but because there's, in general, very, very little advanced stats available uh, on Scottish football publicly. There's not actually that much available if you want to pay for it either, but that, that's a different story. Uh, but I think the guys at Astrata is, is one of the ones who provides this for free uh, to anybody who wants to use the numbers and, and to blog with them. And obviously, at some point a few seasons ago, Matt and, and Seth uh, obviously had to basically scrape their own data to, to come up with this advanced stat. But, but Strata has, you know, we've been starting working with them over the last year, and it's, I think they deserve a huge credit um, to give the blogging community that. But in terms of that, Matt, obviously, we, we've been ramping up uh, in terms of the new season. Um, I think both on Matt's blog, uh, the Backpass Rule, uh, which is on the same Twitter handle as well, and our new Cynics Tactical and Stat Account X ninety Cynic. We're gonna providing... yeah, it, first. I just want to make sure that the back pass rule is what I go for all my Scottish football stats. Okay, well, you should because <laughs> it's still the premier site uh, for it. But obviously, Matt, we're gonna bring quite a few new things this season in terms of the strata data. Uh, we can come back a bit back on that. But in terms of you know being the start of the season, we always look at predictions. And, and Matt has a system, he's, he's put a, a blog out today, he used to last year as well, called uh, Burley, uh, in terms of predicting how the season is going to end, just using number scale. So, so Matt, did you want to walk us through Burley and maybe the name and how it's, how it's calculated? Well, sure. So um, the reason we, we went with the name Burley was to try and backfit uh, Craig Burley's name into the, this model using expected goals because, you know, he's been pretty ardently against expected goals and stats, but then he actually got into a little... Let's be honest, he hates the fucking guts right. side of us. Well, and, you know, showing that, he he got into a little Twitter beef with uh, Christian and myself, uh, eventually calling us, I believe the term was wankleberries, and then blocking us because we pointed out his use of uh, stats was wrong. He was, he was, you know, like Christian said, using a straw man uh, to... to Beats stats with a stick with. So uh, I made it my mission from then and there to make a model uh, using expected goals and using his name in it. Uh, so a very uh, geeky way of taking revenge, but right, good one. Exactly, exactly. So um, the the it stands for, and and I'm going to warn you all in advance that the um, the the name doesn't the first letter is not uh, the first letter in Burley. So just forewarn, it's it stands Jesus for football <laughs> using reliable analytics. Even you. Um, but basically, what Burley does is it uses the uh, averages for expected goals uh, for each team in the SPFL. 
Um, it uses their expected goal total, their expected goal average at home, away, um, and then what they can see. And we, um, to make a long mathematical story short, uh, I use something, a mathematical uh, method to come out with the percentages of how, like what the probability is that let's say Celtic will beat Hearts 1-0, what Celtic will beat Hearts 2-0, what the probability will be that they'll draw and, and so on and so forth. So then I can um, sum all those and it comes up with a percentage, you know, Celtic is 60% chance of win, 20% chance of draw, 10% chance of Hearts winning. Um, I then Just can obviously... You, you play the games 10,000 times, is it? Right. So yeah. So I get I get those percentages. Uh, I, I sim them ten thousand times, and I can come up with an average point total uh, for each team. And with that, uh, I I am able to predict what what will happen this season in the SPFL. And you know, I have to make some guesses. Um, so for Hibs, obviously, their stats last year in the championship aren't really representative of what they'll do in the. Um, the premiership, so I kind of had to, to estimate what I used, what Rangers did last year, what Hearts did the year before, the first, their first year up from um, the championship, and then I used the averages of the teams third through sixth last year to come up with their numbers. But yeah, but using those, I, I can come up with both how the season, uh, the table at the end of the season will look, and then how each individual game uh, will likely go. And and I met, I, I think we're all very. Excited about who who does Pearly predict to come top of the SP uh, in the of the league perhaps, this year? Yeah, perhaps we didn't need a mathematical model to do this, but uh, he's he is predicting Celtic to win the title by yes. twenty points. <laughs> so yeah, so put, Proof that numbers work. You know, start start buying the good stuff because uh, the title's staying in Celtic Park. Yes. Um. What? What? Where did it say Hebs would finish? Uh, so it said Hibs would finish fourth. And, and but it, it only it, it averaged about four tenths of a point more than Hearts in these simulations. So it, it'll be really close. Really thinks between Hibs and Hearts, uh, but and then uh, Rangers finish second, Everdeen third, and then he actually thinks Motherwell will uh, round up the top six. That's actually like, well, okay. Yeah, it's not too. Yeah, I, th- I think that's quite interesting. I think Motherwell tend to either have. A terrific season when you know when they bring a new manager in or relegation fodder. So yeah, potentially they could be in the top six. I mean, obviously Hearts, you might have to crunch those numbers again after your pure best pal, all your guys' best pal, um, Ian Cathro. So, so, so let's well, let's talk about Cathro then. Uh, was was yeah. unanimously dumb. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I really wanted Cathro to succeed. I genuinely yeah. did. What does the what do the kind of stats say about his reign? Do do you have any sort of kind of relevant data? Yeah. Well, so first, just what I did with uh, Hearts real quick with Burley is I only took the stats from um, when Cathro was in charge because, uh, to be honest, before he started, you know, you could make a very good argument last year. Hearts was the second best team in in Scotland. You know, the stats said that they were up there among the second best team, um, and, and then you know. Nielsen obviously leaves, Cather comes in, and it kind of just, the, the wheels kind of fell off. So before uh, Cather started, Hearts averaged an expected goal of 2.04, and, and only Celtic at that point was the only other team that had at least, you know, an expected goals average of two per game. Uh, since when Nelson left, they, uh, the expected goals they averaged was 1.67, so that's a, a big drop there. But that includes the two games against Kilmarnock, the famous kind of 
laptop game when it seemed like Catherine might be, you know, turning the corner where he put four pass uh, Kamarnock at home. Um, and then another game when, when kind of shows the luck they had against Kamarnock where they averaged over a four expected goals again, uh, and they didn't score any. Uh, those kind of skew the numbers. But without those games in there, they averaged an expected goal of, I believe it was, uh, 1.36. Uh, so that's a huge that's a huge drop from when Nielsen was in charge. So, I mean, even the numbers say that it, it's been a struggle for Ian Cathero. And, you know, I, I don't know if they should have let him go so quickly, but the numbers, you know, can't argue with it too much. The numbers, uh, the numbers don't lie, uh, my friend. You you taught me that. Um, <laughs> what what do you think, Alex, about Cathro? I didn't get to see as many of his games as I'd have liked. I saw in full. I saw two games. So I saw his the four one win against Rangers, and I saw a game against Motherwell as well um, at Fir Park. I don't remember what the score was in that, but they, I think the, my memory of it is that they completely dominated it. And it was quite interesting because they were two completely different games in terms of how we approached them. So against Rangers, they were, they seemed to be quite a, um, almost like a continental pressing style. So they were really, really quite narrow in their, in their front line. So don't remember who was playing that, that day. Maybe Bjorn Johnson yeah, was almost surely playing. Uh, he was playing, actually, for sure. I think Jamie Walker was doing some things, and Cowie as well. I think they were kind of playing advanced. Um, that's almost surely wrong. but That's how... What you're describing is how he played at Celtic Park. Uh-huh. Um, they actually played really well, um, but Celtic ended up... I think we won 4-0. Yeah. But... There was a couple of opportunities when they had a couple of... Uh, we were really good for about 75 minutes. Yeah, yeah. for 75 minutes. They, uh, yeah. they, they held it really well uh, and they kind of broke a couple of times. Um, but, you know, and this is something I will... I, I don't think the guy got a lot of luck, uh, um, which I, I, from a coaching perspective and from a stats perspective, I'm sure you both agree that luck is something that if you don't have it, you don't have plums. Which is what, yeah, I, what I mean, a very good football man would say. Speaking to a couple of guys who maybe knows a little bit more about the situation of Harsh and Cathro. It kind of seems like what we maybe also suspected that he was trying to maybe change too much too quickly. He wasn't quite bringing his players with him in terms of maybe doing a bit more bite size, bringing in, maybe trying to do a bit too much at the same time, maybe trying to implement a, a tactic that was, you know, too, it was too much of a gap from what's been there before and he was doing it too quickly. I still think you know, Matt. It, it was time. It was time for him to go, though. I think you come to part time teams. Yeah, I think you come to a situation where it's the outside pressure that just makes your position untenable. I, I wouldn't say if, if everything being equal, he might have turned that around and slowly but surely it would have gone better because you know there was still. Uh, I think overall, um, Hodge had you know last season more. Uh, a lot more expected goals than actual goals, even though some of that is from Nielsen's time. But I think when it comes to the outside pressure, uh, his position just becomes you more. Eight games in something like thirty-six. I mean, that's no. Listen, I'm, I know, no, no. I'm, I'm, I, I, I know what we joke and stuff, but um, I desperately wanted Ian Cathro to win, if nothing else, just to get it up, Chris Boyd. But the fact is, he lost. They lost to part-time teams in the League Cup. 
Yeah, no, and absolutely. That's just not good. They, they topped a, they, they didn't top their group. I'm looking at you like it's your fault. I'm there's <laughs> a, there's a, an interesting point that that you raised there that maybe he tried to change too much too soon, and maybe he didn't get the buy-in from the players. I'm reminded by something that the German coach Julian Nagelsmann, of course, mm-hmm. famously young, like he was younger 20, than Kepler. Yeah, yeah. Twenty. Yeah. Eight when he was announced and 29 when he eventually took over I think it was at uh, Hoffenheim who are now playing are they Champions yeah. League? Oh, Champions, Champions League playoff yeah. Champions League playoff uh-huh. um, there's, some, there's something that he came out and said towards the tail end of last season he said that uh, coaching or being in management is 30% tactics and 70% social competence yeah. now I'm not saying that uh, Ian Cathwood doesn't have social competence but what he's I'm just reading into what Nagelsmann is saying there is that it's so much about how you act socially and how you deal with social problems, yeah. how you get players to buy into what you're doing, way more than actually yeah. where you stand and how Tactics you move. Tactics will take care yeah. of themselves. Yeah. Almost. Well, almost. Because, I mean, and, and, and there's something that obviously we talked a lot about with Ronnie Dyla, which yeah, is where exactly. his social competence in no way is exceptional. And that's obviously what brought Strom's closer to um, the successes they had. It just seems like he wasn't really able to replicate that in a foreign country with a different kind of squad and a different kind of player demographic. And, and another one I'd raise would be um, Vyash Boas when he was at mm-hmm. um, Chelsea. Yep. Um, actually, in Zenit, at Zenit St. Petersburg as well. Yeah. He massively failed in terms of social competence there. Just blames because, yeah, everyone. because I, I think, you know, you go into a football club and uh, there's always going to be that guy or those couple of guys in the squad who's going to try and take advantage and try and, yeah. you know, you know, the face that runs the place sort of thing and un- unless you cut the head off the snake um, you know you, you're onto plums as I've used that <laughs> phrase three times today but, you know <laughs> I don't even know what it means ho- ho- hopefully hopefully Chris Boyd will get will get the hard job and we, we can see who's who's the best time I want to get the well, spot <laughs> so, uh, Matt, Matt in terms of you know there's an interesting point around stats as well because I think I think we're often accused of Throwing it as a table as as a final argument or another straw man, and I think I think somebody said as you know the stats specifically. It's not the end of the argument. It isn't easy. You know, here's the evidence. There you go. It's more to use it as the start of a discussion. So you you know, me and Matt looks at the stats for the SPPL. We look at it for, for the Norwegian league as well. And there's always, especially with Norway, it's not a league where you can get to see that much. So, so you kind of look at the stats and you see it's almost a filtering device. So you, you, you look at it and then something pops out. And when I remember when Matt introduced expected assists, uh, it's probably the first one who did it publicly in, in for the SPPL, SPFL uh, last season. Is that obviously we, there was an obvious people on top. You know, Scott Sinclair was... I think at that point, highest expected. Assist. Johnny Hayes would be quite high. Johnny up. Hayes was, and you know, people you would, you know, you can tell that by your own eyes almost. Cadden, the Motherwell, I'm sure. Well, you, you had an interesting one. I thought Matt was we. You found that, as you said, that like Don Cowie at uh, Hearts was very high on expected assists. Yeah, yeah, and you know, I, I only really watch Hearts when Celtic are playing them. Um, you know, I don't really see them that often. So when I saw that, that was definitely surprising to me because he's not a name that last year you heard, even when Hearts were successful, you know, being the big difference. You heard a lot about Walker. You heard a lot about Johnson when Nielsen was there before Cathro seemed to, to not take a liking to him. You heard about people like Perry Kitchen, um, but you didn't hear about Don Cowie that much. And when that name came up, it was really surprising to me. So I kind of saw him. Um, and, and your comments about, you know, 
you know, you guys don't watch football games or, or you don't see the game and, and, you know, you think stats are the only thing that matters. Well, that's, you know, not true. And it kind of reminded me of a comment, uh, Dun- new Dundee manager, Neil McCann made, you know, he said, he said, God, you know, I, I, this was, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, this was really a lot of, a lot of work to try and find all these players and scout all these players and, and to, to, you know, see who we should sign and who we shouldn't. And, you know, stats could have filtered that, like you said, you know, you, Find players who have good stats that you can afford, um, and then you send your scouts to them rather than sending your scouts to see every single player that might come up on a list or might be recommended by an agent or, or you know, someone's brother on another team might know. So, you know, stats are definitely not the only thing. I don't think I've seen anyone ever say that you should only use advanced stats in, in football. You know, it, it needs to work hand in hand with your scouting department. You need to view it. But like you said, Christian, it can filter kind of who who you should see, who you should kind of avoid, and it can kind of give you an idea going into it before you see a player, what his strengths are, what his weaknesses are. You know, in essence, it's just a tool to help you, isn't it? I mean, people... Yeah, not... exactly. A, a tool's a great way to put it. Yeah. Um, talking of tools, Christian? Yes. Um... <laughs> Talk, talking about... Uh... Hold on a tool. <laughs> his face. I know. And then, but I think in... in... Maybe in, in a homage to the the way we've we've seen. I I just want to talk to very briefly before uh, we start to round off, Matt. In terms of for this season, obviously we we uh, the backpass rule and the X ninety cynic will bring all the kind of advanced stats we did last season. So it's you know, expected goals, expected assists, expected secondary assists. We'll do a lot of uh, new shot maps. Um, in terms of we'll be comparing different players. We'll look at centre back uh, partnerships. Can- we'll do goalkeeping stats. All this, but. Matt has an interesting one. Stats in terms of taking some of the concepts we've seen in, you know, in baseball in America and so on, and we've kind of, I think we've reached a name of maybe, in, as I said, in a, in a reference to have were viewed sometimes as, as stat nurse is the VL plus um, stat Matt in, in terms of that for next season. Can you walk us through the, the version version lips plus stats? Well, yeah. So before before I met Christian. <laughs> And, uh, and uh, another um, <laughs> common acquaintance of ours, the, uh, I did not know what the term VL meant. It, it is not the term <laughs> that has made it over to America. But once I was explained what it meant, um, it, it definitely amused me. So anyway, um, what this stat will do is it will compare players in the league. So like if I say a player has a 7.84 expected goals, what does that mean? Well, it means he should have scored maybe seven goals. But is that good? Is that bad compared to the rest of the league? Um, so what this stat will do is it'll compare how, like, what a player's stats are compared to the league average. So if if the league average is four, and I think we we determined that um, if the same player had a 7.84 uh, expected goals and the league average is four, he would have an expected goals or VL plus of uh, 3.84. And then we can kind of, I can't do the math right now, but we can kind of figure out what that is per 90 minutes. Um, that's kind of a better way to compare players. So you, players who have played maybe a little bit more minutes don't have um, uh, an advantage in the stat. Um, but it's kind of a unique way uh, to see where a player ranks compared to the rest of the league. You know, as Christian said, uh, I kind of got this idea from baseball where they, they're using advanced stats, but they're, they're comparing it to the rest of the league. I know hockey We're giving it a very Scottish twist by, by calling it VL plus as well. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, that's that's kind of exciting. You kind of see how that does, um, kind of, quote-unquote, bring it out to the wild, see 
what it's like it, when we really use it. Uh, I'm pretty excited to see how uh, Virgin Lips Plus does. It's technically called Versus League Plus, but you know, <laughs> now commonly referred to as, as Virgin Lips Plus. This podcast is not going to. <laughs> I'm burning down all of the equipment. Um, Jesus, I feel like I'm in fucking primary seven. <laughs> So another one we will do... Uh, I wasn't a VL in Primary 7, no, I'd napped okay. say like twice. Okay, hey. Cussing. No, and so, so I think that's one of the things we'll bring as you know uh, into the SPF, uh, into the stats for the SPFL uh, this season. We're also going to do something called uh, a team-adjusted um, expected goals. Since, obviously, if you play for Celtic, for example, or Scott Sinclair, Celtic just have more expected goals in general. So uh, if you play for Celtic, you can reasonably assume that you'll have a higher expected goals um, than most players in the league. And what a team-adjusted expected goals does is basically assume everybody's playing on the same team in terms of every team has gets the same amount of expected goals through the season. So you basically adjust people who plays for a team that have a low total expected goals up and you will adjust players for a team like Celtic who's a high expected goals down just to see who's maybe the most important player uh, in terms of how much percentage to create of, of the attacking output for those so there's a few things like that we'll be, we'll be trialling and sending out this season so. that sounds really good, it genuinely sounds interesting see one thing I would say is see the maps that you put out mm-hmm. um, sometimes they're hard to understand yeah, and it's it, that's just maybe for for the layman. Th- th- there's a balance there, and so, so we're we're trying to the maps and that put that make them a bit more accessible than what's the standard out there. Because you you should see some of the other maps out there. So so we're trying to break them down in a little bit more detail, have some explanations about them as well. But I, I think it's a case of you know three years ago I didn't know anything about that, so it is a way of just trying to get into it, trying to understand things. And to be honest. See, just ask us. If you put something out, just ask us. Because you know, <laughs> for myself, I I knew hardly anything three years ago, and it's just pure, through my own interest that I've, I've, I've built up a little bit of knowledge about it as well. So and just ask, Al. Yeah, you're not a condescending prick on Twitter, right? No, so exactly. I think that's, that's uh, great, man. And you're so not you have a wife <laughs> and a child, so you're not. Hey, you're definitely. Um, hey. You're not of Yale. Uh, I think that is the worst fucking part ever. <laughs> <laughs> What you do you expect to yourself, Matt? We're all stat guys. So, I, I, you know, Matt, in terms of... Uh, you know, also, if you say in terms of one more time, I'm honestly <laughs> going to fucking hit you with this microphone. So, so in terms of Gal's current mood, <laughs> uh, Matt... Um, I'm not expecting he's It's all good, Patter. Um, yeah, Matt, in, in terms of the new season, um, anything specific you think we should look out for? Um, the teams. I, I think the biggest difference we saw last year was that St. Johnston again overperformed in terms of they score more goals than we expect, and I think specifically Hearts last season scored a loss, a lot less goals than their expected goals would indicate. See, see on that, see, to kind of add to that question, Matt, in terms from a, I guess you could just you, you'd know more about stats in terms, of, right? Who should be the new manager of Hearts on based on stats? Well, should it be Tommy Dyke because of what he's how he's taken a St Johnston team with maybe limited uh, in terms of squad not being big or whatever and done so well with them? Would he be your pick or is there anyone else, another outstanding candidate? I think Tommy Wright would be a good choice uh, for reasons you said. You know, he, he's done 
incredibly well to with the budget that St. Johnston have to get as far as they have, you know, constant top six finishes. Another possible candidate I think would, who would do really well is uh, Alan Archibald from Partick Thistle. Uh, they finished, you know, top six last year. Uh, they fully deserved it. Um, they had a really good young nucleus, and, and you know, they seem to always be trying to replace Chris Doolin as a striker because he's getting up there in years and every year. Um, the guy they bring in to replace doesn't really knock in the goals, and Chris Doolin adds another 10 to 15 goals to his total. So um, I think he he's kind of in a similar um, vein as Tommy Wright. You know, he, he keeps his team organized. You know, they, they had really good defensive stats last year in terms of expected goals against, shots against. Um, so I think if, if they look toward – he hasn't been a name that I saw has been linked to it, um, but I think he would do incredibly well at Hearts if he got the job. And just on that, on Chris Dolan, he was actually – he's the player last season who had the highest percentage of his team's um, expected goals. I think he had about 28% of Partick Tissel's expected goals oh. came from him. So that was more than any other player in the league. It's interesting that you should say that they had quite a good defensive display because I, I, I rate Liam Lindsay quite highly. Um, I know, obviously, I think he won Young Player of the Year. Um, I think he's. I, I, this is, I'm not making any questions. This is just a point. I think he's a, a really good player. Um, yeah, where, where are we going? Are we wrapping up? Or? No, I think I think we're wrapping up. Um, I think we've done enough damage to both the tactical and the. The stats community and for, the, for, the, the people who are the L's have <laughs> and, and the people have listened to yeah. it. Uh, most of all, no, but I, I, I've enjoyed it. I, 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 I have. So we'll see what the listeners think. But I, I think it's you know it's the first time we're trying it. We might try and do it a little bit differently next time, or we're very open to to feedback. We actually didn't get to any of your your questions either uh, so far. But yeah, like, please give us your feedback on both uh, ninety minutes cynic uh, at the ninety minutes cynics and also at x90 cynic uh, and we'll be tweeting out obviously the yeah we'll be everything per- else so, so stay tuned to that obviously uh, matt on the back pass rule uh the premier blog on the scottish football advanced stats until and we destroy him we until want, we overtake we want him to use you matt to then destroy you and then, <laughs> then we have other sites in our uh you know no, we, we'll, well. we'll bring him on board as a, a consultant as we destroy his own. Yes. Um, Me and Matt, say, we, we, we have our new uh, consulting company on, on, the, on the construction. So it's... Uh, <laughs> com. Um, VL Plus. <laughs> <laughs> um, Alex Lawrence, thank you very much. Thank you for uh, having me. A very solid debut. Um, you made us concentrate a lot more than I usually have to on the, on the pod. So... Uh, Hopefully we haven't scared you away, and hopefully you you want to come back and, and see us. Absolutely, yeah. thanks a lot, guys. Good, Miguel. Any, any final words from yourself on this uh, first Exynic podcast? Uh, some of the pattern on this has made me want to kill myself. Good. So that's no mission accomplished. <laughs> mission accomplished. Uh, no, no, it was good. Enjoyed it. Um, looking forward to doing more. Maybe kind of rotate, get some of the other cynics in. Maybe you know as we as we go. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, terrific! Thanks very much. You should. Ha- is this you trying to do like the kind of rundown thing that I do at the end? Because you're doing awful at it. See you down the road. No, okay. you won't be fucking okay, saying you, that. You're <laughs> off. You're the pro. Um, check it oh. out. Um, basically, I've, iTunes. Uh, we're on iTunes, so search iTunes for Ninety Minutes Cynic and subscribe and like. Uh, leave a lovely comment if you could that would be terrific that would really help us out we're also on speakerspeaker.com slash the 90 minute cynic you can follow us on facebook facebook.com slash 90 minute cynic all of those links are tweeted from our twitter account at 90 minute cynic on twitter um alex what's your handle sorry 
I'm at the ten space, so that's all letters at the ten space. We'll we'll obviously put out if you're if you've got this link, you've probably got it from a tweet. Go back and follow Alex because he's he, he really does know his stuff. Is there anything else you want us to to tweet for you um, and to promote, if you will? Um, I would I would say check out Spielflagering, but that that would in, that would include spelling it. And I don't know if I can do that on air. So uh, we'll tweet some of your that's, articles that's so that people can t- can check it out. Christian, you want to do the kind of final roundup with Matt? Matt, do you want to do a final roundup with Gal? Yeah. <laughs> sure. Uh, just just to clarify, from the beginning of the podcast, the presidents of the United States, the band, were from Seattle, Washington. That's that's really all I wanted to add. Uh, they had that song that Cleveland. Yeah, dropped. they did I... Cleveland Rocks. I was kind of surprised. I thought they were from Ohio too, but. Well, we're both wrong, but you more than me. Uh, right. th- Matt, uh, at the back pass rule, thanks for getting involved as always, and I'm sure we'll speak to you soon. Great, thanks guys. Uh, Christian, I've not been impressed with some of your snidey wee comments, um, so that we'll be having words afterwards. I, that, that's my favourite part, Yeah, <laughs> staying behind and having a few words with you. I'm Chris Gallagher, he's Christian Wolf. we are the 90 Minute Cynic, and we'll speak to you down the road.